0: Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. Today, we welcome Thaddeus Tracy, partner with Farmersgate, and we're going to be taking a dive into the world of sustainable agriculture and the investing arms backing it. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. And I should also note we're now available on Spotify and Apple iTunes, so take a look for us there and subscribe if those are your platforms of choice. So with that all said, I'll introduce Thaddeus and ask him how he's doing today. So how are you, Thaddeus?
1: I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me on the
0: show. Uh, we really appreciate you joining. And like I do with most of my guests, I think it would really serve our audience if you could give us a little background about yourself and Farmersgate.
1: Sure. Happy to do that. Um, I'll start with a little background on, on Farmersgate and then lead into how I became part of that business. Uh, Farmersgate is a new entity that my partners and I started in late 2018 after the three of us spent the better part of our careers in the ag investing world. And started to see some trends, started to see some opportunities that we thought were uh, available that were were going missed by a traditional approach uh, to investing in in the asset class. And we decided to create a, a long duration vehicle to invest in sustainable specialty crop assets and related operations. I found my way into the industry after spending the first part of my career as a corporate lawyer um, and specialized in representing private equity clients in the real estate space. Uh, That was uh, interesting and challenging. And uh, one of the greatest things it did was introduce me to a group Uh, that was starting a farmland fund. And this was back in 2007, uh, when there weren't too many of those types of offerings in the markets. I was really taken with the idea of this growing asset class. It's funny to say that agriculture is a new asset class uh, because it has been such an important part of uh, society and civilization for so many centuries. It isn't one that's had a lot of institutional capital dedicated to it. And I thought that uh, just like real estate or perhaps infrastructure, uh, that it had real potential uh, given some of the underlying characteristics uh, that it presents. So uh, with the introduction to that group, started doing some work with them and eventually uh, became part of their team full time. Uh, That farmland fund eventually evolved into a large agribusiness holding company uh, that's still in operation today.
0: Perfect. So I think that will give you a great opportunity to kind of give us the, the broad stroke view of where the U.S. produce industry is today. So could you give us an idea of where the market is now and kind of your impressions of what the U.S. produce industry is in the current day?
1: Yeah, I think the big picture for the produce industry and really the food industry in general is that it's going through a lot of change. Um, Perhaps uh, more so than at any time in our lives, there is a degree of consumer interest and awareness about where food is coming from, uh, the steps that food goes through before getting to your plates. And it's that increasing ingredient or product awareness that's creating challenges for the industry, both for the producers uh, and for processors and for those who are interfacing directly with consumers. More and more um, producers are expected to deliver high quality and affordable products. But at this point, they're also expected to speak to the entirety of the process from soil to supermarket. Consumers want to know, for various reasons, how food is grown and how food is handled and uh, who is involved in that process every step of the way. And that transparency is increasingly important.
0: So with that lens, can you provide a bit more on the mission and focus of Farmersgate and what maybe differentiates you from you know, other parts of the food industry and, and agriculture in general?
1: Those trends that I just outlined were a big part of why we started Farmersgate in the first place. Um, We really try to take a thematic approach and focus on specialty crops in, in target regions. And we're very much focused on identifying the different parts of the value chain and figuring out how best to combine those distinct links so as to support downstream partners. And if I think about what our mission is, I'd summarize it by saying that we connect food industry partners with sustainable specialty crops supply. That sustainable Reference is very intentional on our part.
0: So I'd like to go into the business case for investing sustainable agriculture soon. But I think another thing that we can talk about is just the fact that produce prices seem to be on the rise overall uh, since the pandemic. And I'm, I know a lot of food products have been on the rise because of that. But i was just wondering, what's your view on the trend? You know, what's driving it, and will it continue? What do you expect to see in the U.S. produce market in the next couple of years, months? You know, what's your future view there?
1: Produce prices are definitely on the rise. It's something that we're watching carefully. And, and I think you're right you know, to set aside the near term or more recent impact of the pandemic and stockpiling uh, that we saw during the spring and summer. Uh, you, we still are, when you take a, take a broader view, you're still seeing a general trend of increase across the, the industry in, in your grocery stores. There are various reasons why that's happening. Um, I look at the cost of transportation. I look at the impact of extreme weather. I think about uh, geopolitical issues and uh, tariffs and how those impact uh, the markets. Um, I think about disease in livestock. And while that's not specific to produce, I think it does have an impact on the, the food industry overall. So. There are really countless different uh, levers that get pulled and result in that increase in, in cost to the consumer. I think it is important to note that, mo- in most cases, if not all cases, that increase in cost is not being passed back to the producer. It's um, because of those sort of underlying effects. Those are expenses that the producer is suffering as well. And, and I do think that this increase is likely to continue, but, but maybe not for the same reason in every case, right? I think there's a little bit of whack-a-mole going on where uh, different disruptions at different points in the logistics process or in the value stream are all causing costs to go up for the end user.
0: So with all of those things in mind, I'd like to take a look at, you know, the business case for investing in sustainable agriculture. Can you kind of explain your rationale for why, uh, you know, your company would invest in sustainable agriculture, but maybe even a broader view of why any company would want to invest in sustainable agriculture versus more conventional methods?
1: Yeah, Um, you know, we, we talk about sustainable agriculture. I think maybe it's important to take a step back and put some definition around that. Uh, every group that I listen to and spend time with has got a slightly different definition of what that means. And in some cases, I'd look at it and say every uh, every operator that's running uh, a long-term focused farming business is in a sustainable business, right? There's not many quality operators that I run into who would uh, think about misusing or uh, somehow uh, wasting the precious resources that they depend on for their livelihood. Uh, But that said, we throw this term around and, and, and it means different things to different people. For Farmersgate, it really operating sustainably really boils down to protecting and preserving value and our natural resources. For us, it's a key component of building great businesses. And it's something that we try to express in all aspects of what we do, whether that's initial investigation of an industry or uh, the transaction diligence that we do before making an investment or just the day-to-day operational Decisions that need to be made. And we think about it beyond just quote unquote green farming. You know, we try to take a more holistic approach and think about people. And we try to think about the planet. And we try to think about profit because, in the end of the day, what we're doing is trying to increase value for our investors and generate uh, return for our investors. So there's that multifaceted approach uh, is very important and is something that most folks in the industry uh, consider, even if they have a slightly different definition uh, for sustainability. Uh, What is the business case for investing in sustainable agriculture? In our case, we think that by investing in real assets and operations with the intent of developing or expanding sustainable supply chains for food companies. And that by applying specific value add initiatives that we can generate mid-teen returns for our investors. And that's uh, the result of a combination of cash yields and and enterprise value over time.
0: All right. So one of the things you brought up there, you know, with the business case and, and bringing these products to consumers, I'm just wondering, you know, is there a price differentiation between a product that's grown via the sustainable agriculture methods you're kind of reporting there versus conventional farming methods? And if so, you know, what kind of price differential are we looking at here?
1: I think in many cases, there is a price price differential, but the, the amount is going to, vary from product to product. Um, I think you can look at organic and conventional and see the price spread there on any given product, whether it's dairy or berries or anything else, and see that while it's not consistent, that there generally is a meaningful spread. And I mentioned organics as an example. I don't want to confuse organics and sustainable because the two aren't necessarily synonymous. You can market your product organically, you can have it certified as organic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is a sustainably grown product the way every uh, either food company or retailer or, or consumer for that matter would think about it.
0: So I guess the real question there then is, are consumers willing to pay these kinds of premiums? I would argue with organic, we've kind of seen yes, right? But what about other sustainable agriculture initiatives? Do you see consumer demand for these products?
1: I think you see it. Um, I think you you see it in, in the example of greenhouse grown products, which can command a higher price. Um, it can be seen as a super premium product. I mean, it's an interesting question, Chris, because I'm not convinced that there has to be a a spread in price between uh, conventional and sustainably grown products. and And I think the more that retailers and other food companies push sustainability standards on their suppliers, the less relevant this price differential will become. It's harder and harder, I think, these days to to produce without having an eye towards sustainability. Just given the importance of that concept to the general public and to the consuming world and, and certainly to younger consumers, whether millennial or, or younger than that. And it's not, um, not often that you can look at a food company website and not see sustainability as a major component of what they discuss.
0: So that's definitely a trend we've been following at the Food Institute this year. Uh, we just did a webinar on ESG. Um, and another thing that we're noticing, you know, like you said, retailers, food service operators, and even food manufacturers are starting to develop their own plans. And I was just wondering, are you seeing significant demand from food manufacturers to source these types of ingredients? Retailers, you know, like you said, you're, you're seeing these companies come out with their, their plans. So are they already starting to source ingredients at a higher clip? Uh, in the sustainable, you know, vertical compared to more conventional uh, verticals.
1: Absolutely. Um, They they are definitely uh, sourcing sustainable products. And, you know, they're making, uh, they're doing a good job of making sure people know about that. In some cases, I think their targets are perhaps overly aggressive. And in some cases, I'm not always convinced that there is, right amount of communication that occurs between the group within a food company that's focused on ESG and the group within the food company that's responsible for sourcing I think if there's the more communication there is the better and then to take it a step further I think the more that food companies can work with their suppliers to develop some of those standards and to develop some of those targets the better off they will be, uh, and they'll be able to hit those targets sooner. And that's one of the things that we hope to be able to support, is we would like to be able to be viewed as more of a supply partner than just a commodity producer. I think if you're uh, a large food company and you really want to make an impact in uh, sourcing sustainable supply think you start working with your your partners, with your suppliers, with your growers, and uh, figuring out ways in which uh, existing process, existing methods can be transitioned over a reasonable period of time to be able to achieve the targets that are being designed, rather than just setting out an edict and uh, and then working towards that without the right kind of planning. So let's
0: talk about transitioning from a conventional to a uh, you know sustainable operation. What types of commodities does Farmersgate see as the best position to make that kind of transition?
1: Hard to say best, right? I think, in my view, every crop can be grown sustainably. I think the question really is, where is it happening? Because there are crops that may be grown in areas today where it's easier to transition to sustainable production. Or there may be crops that can take advantage of technologies in a way that would result in sustainable production more easily than others. Um, I can give you an example. You know, We spend a lot of time... Looking at the fresh berry space. And that industry, which is a huge industry globally and, and in the US, and is a major driver for bringing customers into the retail store, that industry is seeing different producers respond to challenges, whether it's around the use of chemicals whether it's the working conditions, whether it's water cost or availability. and They're responding to those challenges in different ways. and Some of the uh, responsible growers we've seen are responding by installing desalinization equipment and more efficiently and effectively utilizing water that's available to them which would allow them to grow in areas that you know, maybe wouldn't be viewed as uh, ideal areas for production without the use of that kind of technology. We're also seeing a lot of interest around controlled environment production or semi-controlled environment production and, and recognize that, that is another way in which producers, whether it's Barry or otherwise, can begin to, address some of those some of those challenges that i described now those are capital intensive efforts and not something that everyone's ready to do Um, but i think it's a a very effective way uh, to create a product that can be seen as more sustainable and deliver a high quality consistent uh, tasty very for the consumer
0: so i'd like to flip the question around a little bit and originally i was going to ask you know what kind of crops do you find are the most difficult to transition to these sustainable practices but maybe we can even just say you know what regions are finding some difficulty in this
1: you know i was a little hesitant to mention any particular crops i so sort of glad you didn't ask uh, that exactly because you know any crop that i mentioned i would be getting a phone call from somebody <laughs> <laughs> Either telling me I'm wrong, or, uh, or, or asking why I would, why I would say that. Um, you know, there there are some regions that have uh, significant stress uh, from a water use standpoint. There are aquifers around the U.S. Um, that are being depleted. Uh, there are regulatory programs. That are making it more difficult to grow certain crops in uh, in regions that have traditionally been uh, farming regions. You know, I think about the Central Valley of California and the impact of uh, sigma uh, in that region, and, and am uh, very interested in seeing how. How much of that shakes out as existing producers evaluate what position they'll be in and will, will they be able to continue to grow the crops that they've historically grown there will they have to transition uh, to a crop that perhaps uses less water overall or will they have to move out of the region altogether uh, i think it's uh, even even if you put aside regulatory impact. Which is significant. The um, impact of climate change on uh, producing regions is is material, and even though you've been growing wine grapes in the Central Valley of California for decades, um, it's not clear that that's going to go on forever. As you start to lose uh, some of the some of the benefits of consistent temperatures and you start to get the impact of not only higher temps, but also fire uh, risk in that region.
0: All right. So for our last question today, I, th- I have an idea where you might go with this, but I was just wondering if you could explain where you think sustainable agriculture fits in the future of the U S food industry.
1: I think the U S food industry, I think the global food system needs a multifaceted solution. I don't think there's one approach that will work. Um, I think the patchwork is going to remain in place and certain aspects of certain patches, if you will, are going to grow and maybe others will get smaller. Uh, I think the rise of farmer's markets around the U S is a pretty remarkable story. I think that'll continue. I think we'll continue to need large scale agribusiness. I think we'll continue to need conventional farming I think organic isn't going anywhere i think sustainable uh, will become an increasingly significant piece of the equation and i hope that you know, if we sat down and talked about this 10 years from now we wouldn't be drawing a distinction between conventional and sustainable That really it's all one and the same because end of the day, everyone's incentives are aligned. We want to make sure that we have the resources available to continue to produce high quality food for a growing population and to do so at a cost that is within reach of of every consumer. I, I really do hope that Uh, sustainable becomes the norm and isn't viewed as either a premium product or some sort of designer product that appeals only to a subset of the consumer.
0: So I think that about wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank Thaddeus for his time today. Uh, Thaddeus, where can our our listeners go to learn more about you and Farmersgate?
1: You can visit our website, www.farmersgateag.com there is a bit of information there but uh, you know certainly through that website you're welcome to contact us and set up a time to talk
0: awesome we'll definitely include a link to your website in the description of this video to make it easy for people to click on through if they're interested in connecting with you And I'd just like to remind everyone, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, to please follow, like, and share. And if you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off.